0: Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits.
1: Hello
0: and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. We are all about the stories that make the Asian tech ecosystem so exciting, so dynamic. At the cutting edge of that tech ecosystem, joined by a guest today, Bob Gallagher, who's going to tell us a little bit about his story, how he made the journey to Thailand, where he's based now in Bangkok, how he set up his mobile growth agency absence, the challenges that he's faced in doing that. And also he's seen a lot of changes. I mean, he's been in mm-hmm. Thailand for what, seven, eight, nine years now. So he's seen a lot of change. He was there before the startups. I even mean, everybody talks about Thailand now as the next big thing in the startup ecosystem, but he was there before that. So he's seen a lot of change. So we want to learn a bit about that, why he made the move and also, apps so he spends his days advising corporates on their mobile app strategies how to get the most out of their app portfolios so we can learn a lot in the next hour bob gallagher welcome to the show
1: thank you very much graham great to
0: be here excellent to have you here where do we start i think we've got to start my looking at your journey bob so you're in bangkok today you've been there for eight nine years it's coming up to nine years coming up to nine yeah so you arrived in this what you arrived September 2008
1: uh correct yeah so um I mean my I I guess uh we could start with what I was doing at that point in time so I I was actually a head of music for a mobile uh content distributor so I was based in London and working with um, all of the big independent record labels in the UK, and distributing their kind of music content, video content to telcos. So at that time, I was personally heading up all the relationships with uh, UK telcos. Um, but we also had a, a team out in uh, KL that was handling a kind of Asian business. So um, I'd kind of been dealing with um, the team out in Asia, I'd had the opportunity to kind of come and visit and do a little bit of business uh, in this part of the world and, um, and also just having been kind of out of uh, you know, backpacking and, and doing that kind of thing and, and just really you know, fell in love with the place and decided that actually, you know, why not, if possible, try and, uh, and spend a bit longer and actually um, see what life would be like out in this part of the world
0: yeah I mean that's fascinating the way you put it like why not see if you can make something out of it I mean you back then you were 23 is that correct
1: that's correct yeah
0: right so a a lot of people backpack around Southeast Asia I mean now we're sort of seeing a shift where a lot of people are setting up and staying a little longer in places like Chiang Mai up in the north of Thailand right that seems to attract people who have backpacked but they kind of want to live that digital nomad lifestyle and so on so there's a bit more you know, of a less transient community moving around Southeast Asia at that time. But when you came here in 2008, that already hadn't started yet, has it? I mean, uh, Tim Ferriss had just written yeah. the four-hour work week, so people didn't really know about that kind of lifestyle. It was still backpacking, wasn't it? It was still the thing that people right. did.
1: Right. And and to be honest, I mean, I, I wasn't in uh, backpacker mode at that point. That had, that had come a few years earlier, and um, I mean, I was I, I was two years into kind of this 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 role at this mobile company. Um, but I'd I guess before joining that company, I'd always had the thoughts of you know coming and, and spending maybe a year six months um, somewhere like Thailand, and um, but ended up actually landing this pretty pretty good, pretty interesting job. I mean, I have to say it was a great time. Going to, you know, record label pre-release, um, like kind of gigs every you know cu- every couple of days, and seeing you know up and coming acts um, before they were known by kind of the masses. So I was actually having a really great time in that role. But um, on on coming out to Asia and doing another visit, I realised I was kind of at risk of giving up. My dream of of doing that because I just felt, you know, the longer I did spend in London, probably the better and better and the more stable things would get there. And and eventually, you know, it might become one of those things that I never did. So I actually um, actually went to my boss and and just pitched him and said, look, you know, I I think I could do most of my job remotely. And we we do do business in Asia. We've done kind of some work with True and distributed to some of the telcos here. And and I I just said, look, basically, I'm going whether or not we can uh, come to some arrangement but i'd love to continue doing what i'm doing um and if at any point you think you know I'm, I'm not able to do the job as well as i have been then um you know then then let me know but um if you'll kind of accept this kind of uh test and, and let me go and, and try and and do it all from from thailand i'd really love to do that and um fortunately had a very open-minded boss who was who was cool with that so i actually moved to to thailand um and did that for another year remotely Mm -hmm. um and at the same time i actually was doing an mba online with a a university back in the uk so it allowed me to kind of uh, reduce my hours a bit on the work um and focus on the studies and um that was kind of around the time when um, when the iPhone and, and the app store had, had come out um and i I'd, I'd been in working in music um even before this role, so i actually um i didn't go to uni um, but instead of uh, doing that, I set up a, a record label when I was eighteen right and, th-
0: this, uh, f- <laughs> th- this needs a lot of context right because did you actually Defer going to university, or did you say, right? No, I have the choice to go to university. I'm going to set up a record label. Can you just understand that? Yeah, a bit?
1: sure. So, I mean, I started the label out of college, and you know, it was an extension of a hobby. And there were people around me that I thought were making good music, and we wanted to start putting on nights, as as many people kind of eighteen do. Um, but we actually, on on putting on some events, realized that actually a lot of the the producers and people we were booking um, didn't have any representation they they were people that at least were known to me but uh so at the time it was hip-hop i I grew up loving hip-hop and and we were putting on hip-hop events and um and realized that actually there's people that within the uk scene were, were big names but they they didn't have anyone backing them and um we actually managed to, to to sign someone who at that time was the kind of the BBC One Extra flagship hip hop DJ, a uh, guy called Skits, and it was the it just really switched it from being oh this is a hobby and, and something I just want to pursue uh, out of passion that, to thinking well actually we realistically could uh, make a, a proper go of this, and so um, it was a, a conscious decision to actually um, pursue that and and move to London, which. Um, you know, from Southampton, but London was definitely where we needed to be to do this kind of business. And so um, uh, I did that, and um, it was after about a year of doing that that this other company approached us to license. This distributor appro- approached us to license and distribute our content, and, and I ended up taking a role with them um, and running the business, kind of on the, the, my own, the, the, the label on the side. So
0: when you set up this label, Bob did. Do you have any idea what was involved in actually setting up a record label? Because everybody knows record labels. Everybody knows the names that you can mention, like the, the the big majors and so on. And they kind of know what they do, but actually running one,
1: mm-hmm. did,
0: do you have any idea? Did you have any experience about what that would entail?
1: Yeah, I, I knew absolutely nothing. Um, and, you know, this was for sure the most I learned in, in in any kind of short period of time in my life was those three years. And Um, it was really learning business you know instead of having gone and studied a degree I I, I went and did a business and in the end it wasn't kind of financially viable to keep doing for the amount of time and effort I was putting in but I learned absolutely everything about how to run a business and obviously specifically how to run a label Um, and really just learning by doing and you know making stupid mistakes and hopefully not making those again but it was it was eye-opening I mean it was kind of we're just so in, in at the deep end, but um, just kind of thriving and, and, uh, and realizing we could just do it. And I, like I said, it was that kind of real eye-opening moment to realize that you, you can actually just approach um, certain businesses and certain people and, and, and just start doing these things and, and not, have to, not have to have funding, not have to have, um, you know, a loan or anything to, to get going and just go and do it.
0: Right. I want to talk about your progression to Asia in a minute th- th- this story about you set up a record label is fascinating to me because y- you did it in such a young age really I mean you're 18 years old and, and you know I imagine people around you were going to college were going to university mm-hmm. right so yep. that was kind of the done thing that's a default really isn't it for that age group? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what you do so Obviously, you know people similar kind of age who went to college and, you know, they went and did all their thing after university and so on. And I, I want to talk about advice later on, but I'm just curious about in this context is that, you know, when you see friends who've gone through university and, and started their careers and you see the path that you have taken,
1: mm-hmm.
0: would you do the same again, you know, knowing what you know now? Because I know you, you said you've also done an online MBA, so you felt at some point yeah. you needed to get some kind of – I don't know theory in what you're yeah. doing or some kind of intellectual architecture in what you're doing. So is that kind of the right way to do it would you advise somebody in that situation say yeah okay that's an option or would you say hey wait wait a second you know learn from yeah. my mistakes how would
1: you advise I, I mean I I think that there will have been mistakes that I could have avoided if I had um got some of that theory down first and I think I would I mean it, I would have at least you know looking back to my, speaking to my younger self I uh, have you know, encourage myself to study business at college and at least have some grounding. But I think, um, I think I would recommend the uni route um, just because I think that there's there's probably the rate of learning in in doing is so much higher. But actually, if if that had come directly after uni rather than before uni, then um, it probably would have been from a, a more informed starting point. But um, but at the same time, then you know you don't have any rules to tell you how you how you do it, and you know maybe some of the opportunities we we were able to 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 make happen might not have if uh you know if it delayed and, and actually gone and studied, and so I think it was um it was right for me at the time, and um but then going to to actually do the MBA was was my th- Way of doing it in the reverse order and thinking, okay, I, I do want to start another business. Um, I've learned from my mistakes, but now let's also learn from others and uh, and get some some firmer kind of fundamentals there, so that the next the next business is rather than it being out of passion, which the first one was, and I don't think there was anything wrong with that, but also um, you know being smarter the second time around.
0: Yeah, very interesting and wise words as well. So you moved to. Thailand. Let's just go back through that again, so people can understand of the chronology of Bob mm-hmm. Gallagher, how it works. So you moved to Thailand in two thousand and eight when you were twenty three, right? Mm-hmm. And you were still working for the company that you had sort of moved to from the record agency, for record label. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you'd pitched your boss. He said yes to the idea. You moved out there for a year, so you could do this work remotely Mm -hmm. and you were studying as well at the same time so you had this sort of transition period and then in 2010 you set up Absinthe so tell us a little bit about that transition so you're in a a foreign country you're setting yourself up and to move to a foreign country itself is a challenge I mean I've moved all over the place in the world but you know after like four or five times it gets kind of easier Mm -hmm. but it's always difficult. But then to set up a business in a foreign country, that's sort of a double challenge. So tell us a little bit about that progression from 2008 to 2010. You're sort of moving away from the payroll, so you're getting mm-hmm. paid from this company, and then you're sort of looking at starting your own thing. Tell us about the thought processes is going on at the time.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, doing doing the MBA at, the, at that point really got kind of the – you know, the mental juices flowing and, and really just thinking of you know what what comes after this and and knowing that you know it would be wanting to do my own thing um my th- my thesis was actually um focused on entrepreneurship in japan and assessing kind of the opportunity of going and starting a uh, uh, a mobile business in japan so i would actually had at that point in time had kind of my sights on perhaps relocating that way um but you know as i as I worked through that and I began to explore, you know, the local scene more, um, realized that, you know, Thailand actually seemed like it could be a, a great opportunity and, um, to, to really kind of, rather than start afresh all over again to that perhaps, you know, this would be, it would be wiser to, to stay where I was. And I thought that, you know, bootstrapping in a place like Thailand, um, you can obviously go quite a bit further with lower costs. Uh, I probably wouldn't have, Uh, you know so much runway if it was trying to do that in in Tokyo so um, it was I think part of the process was about deciding is Thailand you know actually somewhere that registering a business I can do uh, easily enough and and not have to and do it in the proper way and not and make sure that you know I still actually have the ownership of my business and and so just learning about the rules and and things like that Um, and then knowing secondly is the right kind of talent pool or the types of people that I could work with to build a successful business and um at that point in time was really not uh there wasn't much of a, a startup scene so um it was hard to gauge that and um that was kind of one of my big concerns was like well maybe you know I know a couple of people but what if we want to scale beyond that and um I think it was you know that was probably the main concern um, and also just really learning you know, what should the business be because I was coming out of – I actually deliberately wanted to, to leave music. So the, as much as I loved it and still love it, um, I was kind of a bit tired of the industry. And when I would first got into mobile, actually mobile was a bit boring. It was websites, it was wallpapers, it was ringtones. And um, it was only with the kind of advent of the app store – that suddenly to me it became so much more and it could be, it could be anything. It's software. It's kind of, um, you know, only limited by imagination. And so this is, this is where I suddenly thought, okay, this is, this is the, how mobile gets interesting for me. And this is the the business I want to be in. Um, exactly what within that business Well, let's, let's kind of discover that. And so I set up Absinthe, um, as a full service mobile agency and had the view that, you know development would be a key part of that and we'd want to build apps for clients and maybe for ourselves but the app marketing was going to be perhaps the kind of the key to to uh, this business because even you know shortly after the launch of the app store uh, it was getting pretty pretty full pretty hard for new apps to get discovered and this was only going to be a harder and harder challenge over time so i thought if we could really crack that and understand what it what it takes to make an app successful, then that would kind of be the secret source of the business. And you know, I figured that every company that did web would soon be doing apps, and eventually, kind of development would kind of be a commodity uh, at a certain quality. Um, so having all the other parts that that really then make it successful once it's launched, that would be what would differentiate us. So um, from kind of 2010, when I set up the business. Uh, it was a process of discovering, well, okay, so now I know that I want to run an app marketing business, so how do you market apps? Because there was no blueprints. It was a it was a very new store, and the only way to really learn was experimentation. And um, we really went through, when I say we, it was me, um, uh, and learning by um, experimentation what impacts how you rank in the store. How do you you know, increase that ranking and, and um, you know, managed to, I wrote some blog articles, I got contacted by some clients and, um, and you know, they were kind of up for this discovery process together. Um, you know, they knew as much as I did and um, they just wanted someone who was kind of passionate to try and discover how to, how to make them more successful. And um, so this kind of app store optimization, which, you know, didn't really have a name at the time, but this process of how do you rank highly Um, This was really what I focused on at the beginning and I mean I truly believe at that point I was probably one of the most experienced in the world at doing this. We had some really Huge successes for for clients. So before Facebook had an iPad app uh, one of our clients apps Which was a a photo album for Facebook? It was the top top of search for Facebook things like that so we we managed to get some really really um, popular keywords uh, where relevant for our clients, we managed to get them ranked very highly, and this was kind of what kick-started the business because we we helped make some other publishers really, really successful, and they made you know tons of money um, just by getting this organic exposure, which um, is obviously very, very hard to do um, nowadays with even more apps, um, but it was still tough at that point. And so that kind of validated the business that, okay, we can actually make apps successful, um, Clients do value it, and, and obviously will pay for that. Um, and at the same time, I was really just building knowledge of, of tech because I was coming from a, a marketing, a business background. I wasn't uh, a coder, so I really had to learn how to how to manage software projects, how to um, you know really understand the needs of the client, and, and obviously deliver um, what they need. So that was also a learning curve. So it, it was actually about. 2 years of me working more like a consultant partly it was learning partly it was getting those first clients up and running um outsourcing some projects which was quite painful but at least that also gave me an understanding of what it's like to be on the the other side of that um and then this kind of led to the, the conclusion that it's definitely worth me building a team but how do i go about it mm. and um this led on to Startup Weekend, which was um, the very first one in Thailand, was in, in December 2011.
0: All right. Well, before and, we get to Startup yeah. Weekend, because you know, that, that's mm. a story in itself, just backtrack a little bit there, because mm. you've already, you mentioned getting clients, you, you've done written blog articles, you've already got success case studies out there that people can relate to, some fantastic you know, success stories, like you mentioned with Facebook and the search, for example. So you have that in your portfolio to show people, but even before that had happened, you needed to get your first clients on board. Mm. Where were you looking for clients? Were you going back to record labels? I know you said you wanted to move away from Mm. music, but your your network, Mm because I don't know what it was like back then in Thailand, but I can't imagine there was a lot of Thai companies who were kind of like, you know, biting your arm off to get this app store optimization. So where were you looking for clients being based in Bangkok? How did you go about that?
1: Yeah, so... uh... Actually, a lot came to us. I think just by being one of the first people writing about app store optimization, um, we 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 just actually got quite a few inbound leads, and they came from all over. Our first clients were in France and the U.S. and uh, other parts of Europe. Um, our first development clients were in Hong Kong, and it actually was it was through Music Connections, and it was for a, kind of a an upscale nightclub in Hong Kong, um, but. For the marketing, it, yeah, they were actually coming from all over. And um, I think that was, I think because we, uh, r- rather than me, you know, going doing outbound sales and knocking on people's doors, um, they were coming coming to me. And, and so already through having read some of the theory I'd written, were kind of convinced that I at least half knew what I was talking about. So it, it, allowed, it allowed me to, to be quite open and honest and say, look, there is no blueprint yet but what we're going to do is basically experiment and every time you submit a new release to the app store we're going to test something different and so we're going to have a hypothesis if we do this this is the impact we think it might have and then we're going to measure it and so working with one publisher in particular that had a portfolio of apps which meant a steady stream of you know updates every, every one or two weeks we just learned so much um, and tested so many different ideas and, and that that kind of approach is still very much what we're about as a company, which is um, growth through kind of hypothesis driven growth. So coming up with ideas and experiments um, and then running in a very quick and, and cheap way, a test to see whether or not that improves performance. And so that's that's kind of, you know, it was a necessity at the beginning to build the business. But that's now become kind of a our, our, our core value proposition um, is this, you know, growth through experimentation
0: mm. so okay so let's understand this you effectively built a company originally as a consultancy mm-hmm. which you were consulting to clients and you were showing them how this was done and then maybe you needed to start outsourcing because you know maybe there was a higher value of projects and stuff which you could outsource to people which you know maybe you didn't need to be doing so that was developing your portfolio of clients was developing but then there's this moment where you've got a startup weekend. So how does that work? Because were you actually developing your own IP at the stage? You have your own code, your own platform. So I'm wondering how Startup Weekend received that, you know, uh-huh. that community because they're used to people coming with apps rather than people optimising apps
1: right so uh, I mean it's it was open for application I think I put forward one of many different ideas that I kind of had um, on hand but you know really the main motivation for me was to I, I really wanted to meet people um, I wanted to find people that potentially could could join the team um, and also just see you know what what is the Thai startups and it was it was really the first big event that I'd come across um, you know in, in a couple of years that really Um, brought together the startup scene and it was it was really impressive to see you know a room with uh, I think it was 100 100 plus um, people there that were all passionate um, you know startup people that were all doing their own things separately that obviously come together to do this event but um, that were kind of like-minded and it really showed to me that yes there is a scene but I think I think maybe at the time I hadn't realised that that pretty much was the beginning of it. I felt that maybe I'd just been on the outside and I hadn't, uh, you know, really known how to uh, how to find this this kind of scene. But I think it was, you know, it was around the time Huber opening. Um, so you know, I would have loved to have, when I was working remotely, to have been working from Huber or um, you know one of these uh, brilliant kind of co-working spaces um, rather than working from Starbucks and, and home all the time. But uh, it just wasn't there. And then around the time that we were actually getting around to opening our office, that's when Hubba opened its doors. And, and obviously, they've been instrumental also in, in kind of building the, the, the kind of local ecosystem.
0: Mm. So this was 2011, which, you know, put this into yeah. context. That was really early still. I mean, you know, we still haven't seen any large exits in the Thai startup scene. But really, in Southeast Asia, generally, and you know, we are – Maybe only, like, in terms of the funding side, only four or five years into the startup scene in Southeast Asia. So when you were getting into that and establishing yourself, especially, you know, in a place like Thailand, which maybe would have been behind somewhere like Hong Kong or Singapore in the startup scene as well, you were there really at the early stages. So you were there at Startup Weekend in 2011. Mm -hmm. Did that confirm anything to you that this was the right place to be? Because now you, you were talking about going and building a team. So you needed to have access to the right talent. A hundred people's fine, but you need to have a large pool of talent to work with, right? A large pool of cost-effective talent as well. So how did that go for you? Is this the sort of the genesis of you building the team from Startup Weekend onwards? How did that work?
1: Yeah, very much. I mean, uh, I I think I was very fortunate to have uh, picked the team to work with there. Um, So obviously, you know, the format for Startup Weekend, everyone pitches, um, and then you kind of self select which team based around the ideas that interest you. Um, and actually, you know, two of the people on, on the team now are make up the three of us of the management team of Absinthe and, um, still work with another two of the people on that team. Um, so it, it really, I mean, it, uh, more than I could have hoped helped, you know, me meet the, the people that have helped you know us really build this business um, but then also just meet everyone else who's part of the scene and and uh, you know our friends and um, other kind of people that we collaborate with um, and and really yeah just confirming that there's that there really was uh, the beginnings of a, a very exciting and, and healthy local scene
0: so there' three of you back then well there's one and then there was three oh. how big are you now
1: uh, we're actually just under 50. I think 49 is uh, the number now, which includes a couple based back, back in the UK, and uh, 47 here now.
0: 47. How does that break down? Are they all developers, or what? what's the sort of complement of your staff?
1: Yeah, so roughly half uh, are developers, and then um, all the kind of supporting roles that go with that. So QAs for testing, uh, project managers, um, then we have our kind of growth management team, um, so people that are experts in user acquisition, engagement, analytics, uh, monetization, um, and kind of our sales biz dev guys. Um, yeah, so it's quite a mix. And, and we always try and have kind of a cross-functional team of forgetting designers, designers, of course, um, and and try and have a, a real cross-functional team on all projects. So, um, you know, kind of our, our mission is, you know, we want to help industry leaders be leaders on mobile and that means you know caring about the outcomes of the apps we build and helping to to drive the strategy that makes that happen so having these kind of growth marketers as part of every team so that they can actually talk about those things at the very beginning and not have kind of marketing as an afterthought
0: so where are these people coming from are they local ties are they people that have like yourself moved out to thailand to check it out and maybe stay stuck around a while have you you recruited people and brought people into thailand specifically Mm -hmm. i'm just curious uh, because the reason i say this bob is because one of the conversations we had on the radio show is about you know what makes a great startup ecosystem and obviously you know when everybody talks about startup ecosystems they talk about silicon valley and you know every country wants to have their own silicon whatever and replicate what happened in silicon valley but One of the conversations Michael and myself had, and Michael lives in Thailand as well, is that, you know, well, maybe you don't need to replicate Silicon Valley because maybe what brings people to a place like Thailand is is something different. It's more, you know, maybe there's a lifestyle choice in there as well, which maybe they can't get in San Francisco and so on. So I'm curious to know about, you know, the people that you brought to Thailand Mm -hmm. and, you know, what kind of triggers there were for that.
1: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, our team is, is... More than half Thai, but for the, the the kind of expats who have joined our team, um, yeah, there have there's there's a few who have uh, who have moved specifically, and I think it's exactly what you said that the people know that they want to come to Thailand, for, and it, it's it's not because they they know there's a hot startup scene. I mean they 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 want to get involved when they when they know it exists, but it's probably not the first thing that that made them think of of coming to to asia or thailand specifically and um i think you know we've had some people who've maybe traveled around and then decided thailand was the the place they liked the most or others who um who, who actually have never been who just see it as a kind of an adventure and um and you know that's that's great as well because you you kind of I mean, obviously, as as someone also living here, that the the early days are super exciting, and you know, now the craziness of Bangkok is is so normal, and and going back to to London's exciting because it's it's just different. But to uh, to experience again through someone else's eyes those first kind of moments, and uh, I I think it, it's really great. So um, yeah, we've had people join us from. Austria, Australia, Belarus, uh, you know, others from the UK, from US. Um, so yeah, we've we've got a, a good mix, and I think you know that's that's something we definitely want to encourage and and be even more open to and receptive because I think it's just good to have that that mix of perspectives and experience, um, and you know I think it's good for also just mixing with the local team. It's it's hopefully makes it a fun place to work.
0: Hmm. I like what you say about getting accustomed to the craziness of Bangkok now that 's normal for you. you know, imagine you have friends or family who come out to Thailand or Bangkok and you 're obviously based there you, you show them around or people that you know maybe from college that come out um, Now I want to know how did they experience it so people must you know people have a lot of expectations about what Thailand is and what it isn 't. -hmm. And not a lot of that is based around business, is it? I mean, you know, people Mm -hmm. obviously understand it as a backpacking destination and so on. But when you talk about Thailand as a place for business, maybe more so for your generation, it makes sense. But especially my generation, it was completely, you know, out of our, you know, concept of what was possible, right? Mm -hmm. But even for your generation, you know, like, I know even people graduating as well now it's like Thailand. i still don't think it's sort of like the go-to destination for people you know starting a business so people must go there with some kind of expectations how do you see that what sort of things do you find when people come to thailand for the first time are there any sort of things that blow them away or any kind of expectations which are common which you know they have challenged as soon as they get there what, what do you find when people go there for the first time now
1: yeah, I mean, it varies. You know, some people are a bit more clued up than others, but some I, I've definitely seen some people are just shocked by how developed and built up and high-rise the city is. And, you know, that's uh, it was no surprise to me, but just some people um, have a completely kind of uh, uninformed impression of, of Thailand being, you know, quite um, underdeveloped. And so actually when people come and they see how modern and, and kind of um, clued up you know, the, certainly in Bangkok, the, and how similar a lot of it—the uh, the kind of level of development—is to to, to to Western markets. They're they're kind of shocked by that. Um, I think people are surprised by it not being as cheap as they expected. I think a lot of people, um, maybe who have been ten plus years ago when it w- was a lot cheaper. I think I think it was the the month I moved here, the baht dropped from being like 70 baht to the pound to about 50. So. It, just before all my planning and everything i thought um, was based on that higher value so i think it used you know it used to be very cheap and i think some people get a bit shocked when they come here and go to some of the nicer places and they're like oh it's more expensive than london um so i think just some things around that um i think most people you know there's always that shock of first day in bangkok and i think people always can't really understand how I could spend nine years here. Um, Mm -hmm. They find it so full on, but obviously uh, it's, it's not like that when you're, you're doing your normal life, you're not whizzing around in tuk-tuks the whole time. And it's, it's slightly different.
0: Do you feel comfortable there? Do you consider it home? Do you see it as a place that you could stay, you know, nothing changed for the next 20 years? I
1: I mean, I I definitely think of it as home. I think if it ever wasn't, it would always be my second home. Um, I think, you know, I, the adventure that it was when i moved here i think you know i, I always have that kind of still in me and the, you know the idea of at some point in the future living somewhere else completely different is also very interesting but you know i'm fully committed on what i'm doing now that's not not something for the short term but um, it could be either interesting to, you know, in the future, take the business elsewhere or um, just something for kind of later life. But I, I, wherever I end up, I'm sure Thailand will be the place I'll be kind of coming back to a couple of times a year um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's I think it, it feels more, more like home now than, than going back to the UK.
0: Yeah, so I wonder if people listening to your story, they may be thinking of moving to a place like Bangkok or Southeast Asia and they may be based in a place like London. So they may be used to certain things which they just expect in their life. Do you live in Bangkok uh, in, in a way that you could live just in London? I'm just trying to think about your daily life. I want people to try and kind of picture it. Because you, you run a successful company in Bangkok. You manage a lot of people. So you've established yourself. I imagine you're quite comfortable. You know the city very well because you've been in there long enough and you you have probably built up a very good network of people there as well mm-hmm. so do you live a life which is equivalent to how you'd be living if you were in london now just let people understand that. maybe you can kind of give us some examples of how it just feels as if it was living in a developed if i can use that word mm. city elsewhere in the world
1: yeah i mean obviously cost of living is less so i think you can you can have a You know, a nicer place. Um, And certainly, at the age of, I mean, moving out here. When I first moved out here, I was in my London house. I was, it was a shared house with several other people. And when I first came to Bangkok, I was thinking, oh, I need to, you know, find a shared house. And then you (laughs) realise, oh no, actually, for what I was paying for a room, I can have a pretty nice condo on my own, and just things like that. So obviously, the the cost of living, I'd say it's somewhere where you can obviously do it a lot cheaper. Um, but you can also spend just as much as as back home. So I'd say it's got that full range. Um, but if you want to eat for fifty p or twenty five baht you, uh, a meal, you can do it, or you can spend you know the same as you would in a, in in any other Western market. Um, I think I certainly wouldn't be um, eating out as much as you do here. I mean that's just the normal thing. You know back home you're always cooking, and it's just that's that's the normal kind of lifestyle. I think here there's a lot more. Um, you know outdoor uh just kind of catching up with people for food and it is it's a bit more of a regular thing to eat out. um I don't think it's so different though I mean I'm not like living the high life here uh, and you know there I would be completely different I think it's just um you know it's, it's it's all balance and I definitely enjoy going back there now um catching up on music and things like that which I was obviously so passionate about in the past and um not not really being sport for choice here for kind of uh, live stuff so um yeah i mean I, I i actually think it's best the ideal thing is is a bit of both and um i think the first few years where i didn't go back much you could potentially lose touch a little bit and i've been going back a little bit more now since we kind of uh hired a couple of people there so you know having legitimate work reasons to go back as well and i think that's that's been it's been good both on a personal and, and a business level
0: so there must be people listening who are tuning into your story, Bob, and thinking, yeah, I wanna do that. That sounds awesome. I wanna do what you've done. You know, maybe they're coming out of university, or maybe like yourself, they're not even going to university and you know, they're deciding start a record label in Thailand or whatever it is, aged eighteen, whatever the, the challenge may be stories like yours will be the inspiration to go and do something and make change in their life and step outside their comfort zone as well, which you've demonstrated is completely possible. So I'm curious advice that you may have for people in that situation. If I was a younger Bob, whether I'm 18, starting my record label, or whether I'm thinking of heading to Thailand to go and find my fame and fortune, whatever it may be, would you sit down with me and advise me and, and and give me some advice that may help me avoid the mistakes that you may have made? You know, get up that learning curve a bit quicker, maybe sort of set my expectations in the right way. How would you do that? Because I imagine people have already asked you this question already. Yeah, I want to come to Thailand. What do I do? This kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Help us out here. Give us some advice.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of people – turn up without any idea of what they want to do. They just know they want to be here. And uh, I actually think that's fine. Um, and I think, you know, going to these, there's so many, these days, I mean, if, if you are looking to get into something something r- involving tech, um, there's so many meetups um, that I think it's it's going to be a lot easier to go and and, and find something that, that you're interested in. And it's probably, you know, going and joining a startup with other people already doing it. Um, is probably what I'd recommend. I mean, the I think it's pretty hard to to go alo- go it alone, and um, do it the way I started. And I think you know, having also done a startup on the side, when uh, which came out of Startup Weekend, and having you know a, a big group of co-founders, that that was actually I think in the early days um, really important because you get the Moral support you obviously get to share the burden you get to bounce ideas off people and I, I think it's I'd say it's pretty hard to just do it alone and and you know because it was a couple of years before Even having anyone as part of the, the team and so I think if I was to start again I would definitely want to to start with a, another couple of people and, and actually feel you know as part of a founding team rather than just an individual um, I think I learned so much from, so I've only had kind of you know, a proper job from employed by someone else for three years of my life, but I learned so much on those as well. And I think, you know, still there was things that I've had to learn because maybe I I, I, was, I didn't progress longer in, in that kind of environment. So I think that was invaluable. I So I probably wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily go straight from graduating to doing the start-up, your first start-up um you know maybe just even a year working for someone else or working as part of another team that's already doing stuff um uh, quite well then you're going to learn so much from that so i think that, that's great advice know.
0: by the way i think that's that's the often unspoken advice because people feel the pressure to go and start their own thing isn't it but even yeah. if you were to go to work a year or two years they bankroll your education really your employer mm-hmm. and yep. and even if you hate it, then you you learn what you don't like, right? I mean, you well, don't know exactly. to start a business and you don't know what the alternative is, right? So to yep. have that experience.
1: So I'd say, sorry. Sorry. yes, yeah, so half the things that I think I learned are the things that I thought they did well and then the other half is the things that you don't want to replicate. So it's, it's um, and I guess if you work in more more than one role in different companies, you're, you're obviously going to learn that more and more. But at least having experience from one company, um, you know, now having such a large team obviously management is is something that i'm kind of by nature need to be doing um but not having had the opportunity or training in in another role around that you you obviously have to self-learn um i'd say you know just being disciplined in in kind of reading a lot of books because i think as soon as start you start getting busy you know you can perhaps end up with your head down a bit and, and doing too much of the work yourself and i think you know trying to make sure that you're still learning the whole time, I think is important. Um, I think if I was to start the business again, I would definitely start by thinking about processes that other people can do because um, I think – the problem is often when you start a business or you start hiring it's because you're a you're a doer so if you're a graphic designer and you, and you've got um you know a, a steady stream of business and more than you can handle you hire more designers because um you know there's there's enough work to go around but then the bigger you get the the less design actually you get to do so if if it's your passion and actually all I love doing is design then maybe starting a design business isn't the right thing for you because in the end you you actually do very little of what you love and you end up managing a team of people doing the the design but obviously if that that's the intention and you're getting into it because you want to be planning the strategy and the operations and, and not actually doing the work then I think it's also being quite disciplined and not doing that because certainly in the early days and even sometimes now it get kind of hauled into to doing certain things on client projects because um, because it's needed. But, um, you know, just having the discipline and, and planning things in a way that, that keeps you focused on the higher level stuff, I think, is, is really important.
0: Great advice. Bob Gallagher, everybody, the founder of AppSynth. Bob, before you go, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. One is very important, which is you know, where people can find out more about you, but just hold that thought for a minute. One less important, but just very curious, um, Thai hip hop, yes or no?
1: <laughs> Not yet. Right,
0: okay. It's good to know you heard it <laughs> here first, because he would know if anybody did know if that was a scene worth looking out for. Okay, so let's talk about where people could find out more about yourself.
1: Sure. So um, for for the business, it's absinthe.net, A-P-P-S-Y-N-T-H.net. Um and I mean you can find me on LinkedIn, Bob Gallagher shouldn't be too hard to find.
0: Excellent. We'll put all the details in the show notes. Bob, it's been a real inspiration. I think people listening to your story will maybe hear what they need to hear to make them make a change in their lives and take the first step to go out to a place like Thailand. It doesn't have to be Thailand. It could be anywhere in the world. But to go and do something like that, because they realize that, you know, they're going to make mistakes, but failure isn't fatal. And like yourself, you've learned from these mistakes, and, you know, that's all been part of your story. So thank you so much for coming onto the show today, Bob, and sharing your story with us. It was a real inspiration.
1: Thank you very much, Graham. It's been great.
0: You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.